Well, let's turn to in our Bibles this morning to the book of Joshua. As you heard me mention in our prayer, this is rather a difficult chapter as far as the reading of it publicly is concerned, at least for me. So I trust you will bear with me as I read these 63 verses, which much of it, especially the latter part, does contain uh, words that are rather hard. And uh, so I trust uh, you will be with us as I continue to read. And uh, we'll go ahead and get seated here in a sec. And uh, try to work my way through this. I admit this is a very difficult chapter. Uh, difficult to pull the profitability, profitability out of it as well. Not probability, but how much profit it is to us. Uh, there really is something here to us. And we may think, ah, what all this got to do with me? As we pointed out last week, these scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures in particular, were preserved for us. And so if you can recall that from what we said last week, it will hurt, certainly, certainly help you to have a little patience this morning as I attempt to read through it and then give some of the lessons that we'll find in chapter 15 of the book of Joshua. So let's begin this morning with reading it. This then was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah by their families, even to the border of Edom, the wilderness of Zend, southward, was the uttermost part of the south coast. And their south border was from the shore of the Salt Sea, from the bay that looketh southward. And it went out to the south side to Mele Akram, and passed along to Zen, and ascended up on the south side unto Kadesh Barnea, and passed along to Hezron, and went up to Adar, and fetched a compass to Karkiah. From thence it passed toward Asmon, and went out unto the river of Egypt, and the goings out of that coast were at the sea. This shall be your south coast. And the east border was the Salt Sea, even unto the end of Jordan. And the border in the north quarter was from the bay of the sea at the uttermost part of Jordan. And the border went up to Bethhagla, and passed along by the north of Beth Arba, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And the border went up toward Deber from the valley of Acre, and so northward, looking toward Gilgal, that is before the going up to Adunam, which is on the south side of the river, and the border passed toward the waters of En-Shemesh, and the goings out thereof were at Enrogel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom, unto the south side of the Jebusite, the same as Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain that lieth before the valley of Hinnom, westward, which is at the end of the valley of the giants northward. And the border was drawn from the top of the hill unto the fountain of the water of Nephtoa, and went out of the cities of Mount Ephraim, and the border was drawn to Baala, which is kirjath Jerim. And the border compassed from Baala westward unto Mount Seir, and passed along unto the side of Mount uh, Jerim, which is Kishalon, and the north side, and went down to Beth Shemesh, and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out unto the side of Ekron, northward, and the border was drawn to Shikron, and passed along to Mount Baala, and went out unto Jabnil, and the goings out of the border were at the sea. And the west border was to the great sea, and the coast thereof. This is the coast of the children of Judah, round about according to their families. And unto Caleb, the son of 
Jephunneh, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which is city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai, and Ahiaman, and Telmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before was Kerjashifer. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjashifer, and taketh it to him, will I give Aksha my daughter to wife. And uh, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave Aksha his daughter to wife. And it came to pass, as she came unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. And the uttermost cities of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the coast of Edom southward were Kabzil and Eder and Jager. And Kina and Daimona and Adada and Kedish and Hazer and Ithnan. Ziph and Telem and Bealoth and Hazer and Hatata and Kuraoth and Hezron, which is Hazer. Amon and Shema and Moleda and Hazar Gedah, and Heshman, and Beth Pelet, and Hazar Shua, and Beth Sheba, Beersheba, excuse me, and Bezjotharjah, Bela, and Iam, and Asmon, and Etolad, and Kizel, and Horman, <coughs> and Ziglag, and Madamana, and Sheshansha, and Lebaoth, and Shelem, and Anan, and Rimen. All the cities are twenty and nine with their villages. And the valley of Eshtaol and Zoriah and Ashna. And Zanoah and Enganim, Tapua and Enam. And Jarmuth and Adulam, Sokoth and Azekah. And Sherem and Idathiam and Gedira and Gedarotham. Fourteen cities were their villages. Zenan and Hashdeah and Megdagal and Dilean and Mitzpi and Jokthiel, Lachish and Bozkath and Eglon and Kaban and Laman and Kithlish and Gedoruth and Bethdagon and Naama uh, and Makeda, sixteen cities with their villages, Libna and Ether and Ashen and Jephthah and Ashnan and Zeba. And Kaila and Akzib and Marisha, nine cities were their villages. Ekron were their towns and her villages. From Ekron even unto the sea, all that lay near Ashdod were their villages. Ashdod with her towns and her villages. Gaza with her towns and her villages. Unto the river of Egypt and the great sea and the border thereof. And in the mountains, Shamer and Jeter and Sokoth and Dana and Kerjethsayim, which is Deber. And Anab and Eshtimoth and Enam, and Gashan and Holon and Giglo, eleven cities with their villages, uh, Arab and Duma and Eshina and Jaum and Bethtapua and Aphekad and Humta and Kerjath which is Hebron, 
and Zior, nine cities with their villages, Maon, Carmel, and Ziph, and Jephthah, and Jezreel, and Jachdeam, and Zenoah, Cain, Gibeah, Timnah, ten cities with their villages, Halul, Bethzel, and Gedar, and Maareth, and Bethanoth, and El Tikan, six cities with their villages, Kerjath Baal, which is Kerjath Jerum, and Reba, two cities with their villages. In the wilderness, Betherba, Midon, and Sikaiaka, and Nibshan, and the city of Salt, and Engedi, six cities with their villages. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. You may look at that and you wonder, what can we profit from this today? Well, this actually, this chapter actually has several themes that run through it. The first is this, in verses 1 through 12, we see the borders of Judah given unto them and the description uh, of the borders and such like. Secondly, from verses 13 through 15, we see that Caleb receives his inheritance that we saw last time as we were looking into chapter 14. Then from verses 16 through 19, we see Caleb giving his daughter to the man who would take this particular city that's listed there in, those, in that section. And then fourthly, from verses 20 through 62, we see the cities of Judah that were in the land. And then lastly, from verse 63, we see that Judah's failure, or did fail, in driving out the Jebusites. Now, what we're going to do this morning is to do what we've normally done. We've actually given you a basic outline here. And then what we're going to do is to draw the lessons from this passage of Scripture. So, what are the lessons that we can learn from all those names or those cities that we just saw? Well, the first thing is this. As Judah was given these cities and the boundaries, it reminds us once again something of the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. This was something that God had promised in the law of Moses that the children of Israel were to receive. And brethren, how easy it is to read over a promise and soon forget it. Isn't that true? We can read the promises of Scripture and then tomorrow we have a hard time trying to remember what we read. And specifically, do we have a hard time trying to put those into our hearts by faith and to rely upon them and to act upon them? Remember, unbelief is the besetting sin of Hebrews chapter 12. And how difficult it is sometimes. For that. But we need to realize that as God has promised, there are several things involved here when He promises something. The first is this, that He's given an oath. His promises are like that. They are oaths. They're vows to us. And brethren, He's not like a man who will lie or who will repent. You say, okay, well, I know that already. Great, okay. If you do, then let me encourage you to apply this as arguing grounds, as it were, when you go to God in prayer. When we pray to God, we should remind Him that not only is He a prayer-hearing God. Remember, David said, I love you because you hear my prayers. Well, not only should we say things like that to God in a reverent way, obviously, but we should remind Him that what you have said in your word is true. Your very character 
to your people is being displayed by what you say in your word. And so, brethren, as we come to God, what should be on our lips at times as we argue, as the Scripture talks about, with God in prayer, wrestling like um, Jacob did with the angel of the Lord that time, we ought to remind him that you are a, a God who has spoken. And what you speak is true. In our recent trial, I continually reminded God of that. I continually reminded me of that as well. Those were the strong arguments that I set before him. Look, your word says this. Does it not mean anything? Is it not true? Would you let one of your children disbelieve one iota of your word? And brethren, God delights that we would come to him reverently, but with boldness and and, uh, confidence that we would rely on what he said. We have not because we ask not, he says. Well, use that, brethren, when you go to him. But not only this fact that he's spoken it, but the fact that all the promises are in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians tells us in chapter 1, as Paul's trying to show the Corinthians why he didn't show up when they thought he should show up, He reminds them of this very blessed fact that all the promises that we have from God's Word are in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 19, he says, For the Son of God, the eternal Son of God here, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Savanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in Him was yea. For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So hence, should we, we should not only plead on the behalf of His promises that these are really your oaths, but that, and that He can't lie, but brethren, we ought to have on our lips this close connection that all He has spoken comes with Christ and in Christ. The Son of God. That's strong arguments to take to uh, to God in prayer. Your Son, the majesty, the person, the glory, the work of Christ, the person of Christ in particular. And will not God then hear His own Son? As we remind Him of Christ, the One who is the One, the one who was in the bosom of the Father. Well, those are the kind of things, brethren, we ought to learn from this chapter. God's promises are true and we can bank on them. When He promised that, that seed, that land, he, got, he gave it to them. They could now feel that promise. They could reach down and touch the dirt. And it was theirs. The second thing we can see from Joshua 15 is that the promises are fulfilled, obviously. But notice here, in the concrete and in particulars. As I just said, they could touch the dirt here. But not only that, did you happen to notice all the borders that were mentioned here? None of that was spoken in the law. 
It was a very general promise. You're going to receive, by lot obviously, the particular portions of, God, of that land. But it was nothing like this. Here we see the promises coming down in the concrete and in the particulars, as we're going to be seeing in the chapters later on in this book, as we continue on in it. But you remember back, back when God promised Abraham this land in Genesis 12 and also a little bit later on. Those were very general promises. I'm just going to give you this land. It's the promised land. And it's yours. But here though, brethren, as we begin here in chapter 15, we see the specific nature of these promises to Abraham. And, and of course now to the literal seed here, the descendants of Abraham. And it's true to us today. We find those general promises of God and His Word coming to fruition towards us and in us in a very specific way. Let me give you a couple examples. The Bible has told us, has promised us, that God would clothe us, hadn't He? We see that in Matthew 6. If God so clothed the field with all those pretty flowers, He's going to clothe you. But think about this. That's a general statement, isn't it? Look at us today. Look around. We are very well clothed this morning, aren't we? We have many sets of clothing hanging in our closets and sitting in our drawers at home. That's that's down to the nitty-gritty, isn't it? A general promise, I'll feed you, or clothe you, excuse me, and look at our closets. We have change of clothes for every day. Whether you change them or not, you've got change of clothes for every day. That's a promise coming down to the specifics, isn't it? We can take the general promise that He'll feed us. We're to pray uh, in, the, in that prayer that God, Christ taught us to pray. Uh, uh, give us our daily bread. He does. General promise. And yet, look how we eat. Look how America eats. We've become a country of gluttons. But there's, it's bountiful, isn't it? The specifics of that general promise has come down to us that you and I can eat three times a day, if not more. That's what we see here. The promises of God are not only general, but they're very specific. The third thing we see is not only that Cable, uh, Caleb here voiced his faith. You remember back in chapter 14. I have wholly followed the Lord and the Lord has promised me this. And so, give me this mountain. 85 years old, by the way. Give me this mountain. Well, we see now that he actually carries out his performance of what he desired back in chapter 14, here in chapter 15. So, what's the lesson there? Well, there are many who make a good talk aren't there? Oh, they know their theology. They know their methodology. They have all that down pat. They can quote you the Puritans. They can quote you all sorts of good writings or bad writings for that matter. Yet their lives has very little conformity to what they say. It's sort of like the 
But Mr. Talkative in Pilgrim's Progress, isn't he? Oh boy, could he talk. But he wasn't like that when he was not talking. He was not walking out his conversation. He wasn't walking out his salvation in fear and trembling. But we see here that Caleb is a man who did what he said. He didn't just stand in church, so to speak, on Sunday and say, I'm going to serve the Lord the rest of this week, and then didn't do it. He was a man who said, I serve God seven days a week, and then the next day he gets up and he serves God. This is what chapter 15 can show us here. Caleb was a man who took his word seriously. Took his religion seriously. He wholly followed the Lord. That phrase, as you remember, we said was stressed three times in chapter 14. He wasn't a proud, boisterous man. He spoke the truth, though, didn't he? It was testified by Moses that he did. So he wasn't a man like Mr. Talkative who said one thing and didn't do. And many are like that, aren't they? They come to church, look holy, sound holy, but then they don't live holy when they go home. Many are like that. Many are on that broad road to destruction and don't even know it. In fact, there are many who seek to get in and will never find it, he says. They will never enter in. So what makes you so sure you're on the road? What makes you so cocksure this morning that you have passed from death unto life? And we hear this all the time. I just know that I know that I know. The Bible never, ever states that. You read 1 John and I'll tell you what it does say in chapter 2. We know that we know Him when we keep His commandments. That's how I know that I know when I keep His commandments. Caleb was a man who did. What a shining example he is. 85 years old. And he goes and he takes this land. Takes that mountain. He had a leaf that did not wither. Then fourthly, Caleb reminds us here, and we see demonstrated, his concern over his family. You may not like his courting practices here. You may not like the way that he gave his daughter away to the man who would take the city. doesn't matter what you think. doesn't matter what I think. But this is what he did. But in this, it does demonstrate, I think, something of the concern that he had for his family. Seeing that they were cared for, seeing that they were provided for. You know, the Scripture says, But if any man provide not, provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's physical things. That's temporal matters. Brethren, how much more to spiritual things should a man be responsible to his family uh, before God for these things? Provoke not your children to wrath, but raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. 
And if you were saying, well, look just to me that all Caleb was worried about was that mountain and, and giving his daughter these things. We'll give you that objection and you can have it. But again, speaking spiritually and profitably for us, it also would have to say, here was a man who provided spiritually for his family. If he wholly followed the Lord, he did. And that's what the Scripture said he did. And then fifthly, we see all of these boundaries. Boundaries. Found in this chapter. What would that have to do with us today? When we read about these borders and how far they can go and how far they couldn't go as far as their land mass was concerned, what does this mean to us? Well, here we see the biblical truth that our lives are in God's hand, even down to the very location of our homes and where we live. Did you know that's all in the purpose and in the plan of God. It is no accident that I live at 1118 Southwest Orleans, Topeka, Kansas, 66604. It's no accident. It's no fluke in nature. I just didn't wind up there. My friend, God put me there. And whatever your addresses are here this morning, or where they will be, as far as that goes, let me assure you this morning, God put you there. All of this is encompassed in the great plan and decree of God. Acts 17 is Paul's preaching to a bunch of pagans on Mars Hill, a bunch of intellects who didn't know anything. They couldn't even get the right God in their, in their worship. They were, in fact, they were so superstitious they had an unknown, a statue to an unknown, unknown God. And Paul says, I'll tell you who that God is, using the play on what, they're, what they were thinking. This is the God who's created heaven and earth. And this is what he says about him in verse 26, among other things. And hath made one of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. Two things that he mentions there in particular. How long you're going to live, the times before appointed, when you're going to live, just as it was foreordained about Christ. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. The fullness of time. Not when it pleased man, not when he was needed the most, as you hear some preachers talk about today. It was in the plan and purpose of God when he came. God didn't look down through the age and say, oh, I need to send him on this particular date. No, no. God doesn't look down and get information on how to run this world. He set the world in motion and it gets its information from him. It's played out in his divine plan. And brethren, our times are in God's hands. But not only that, notice he says boundaries or the bounds of their habitation where you live. Here's why, verse 27. That they should seek the Lord. If happily, whether you like that word or not, it's there. If happily, they might feel, if you don't like that word, it's still there. That they might feel after Him. And find him, though he be not far from every one of us. 
For in Him we live and move and have our being. And He confirms it as, look, this is what you all say all the time. The very poets speak these things, that we are all the offspring of God, as He goes on to say. So, brethren, let me assure you this morning, as we come from this chapter, what we can learn that there is absolutely nothing about us that is left to chance or be seen as unimportant in God's purposes in our lives. We may read Joshua 15 and say, who cares? Judah cared. Judah's enemies cared at that time. as they were living in those boundaries. And were defeated. Except for chapter, except for verse 63. So again, nothing about our lives is left to chance. You know, again, as we've often said, the very hairs of our heads are numbered according to the words of our Lord. Our lives are in His hands. Our locations where we live is even taken up, brethren, in the thoughts of God. When you think of all the high and lofty thoughts that God can have and does have, David says that when he thinks sometimes about God, he realizes it's too high for him. And amongst all of that thinking, he thinks of where we live. Isn't that amazing? That he would stoop to such lowness to give consideration of my house, my home, and my address. He does to you too, Christian. And the application from that application is, should we not then live accordingly? I could bring out the fact that He knows what we're doing every day in those locations. Fear God. Know that He's seeing you. And then lastly, Israel's earthly home reminds us of our heavenly home with Christ, doesn't it? In the book of Colossians, We read about our union with Him in chapter 3. And it's spoken in such a way that it talks about a present reality and a future reality with Him. Colossians 3 and verse 1. This is where we'll close with this morning for our, our lesson. He says, For if ye then be risen with Christ, He says, If that's a fact with you, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. There is the now and there is the future. With Christ and in Christ.